0: Welcome back, Harvey. We uh, want to pick up where we were. Uh, we're talking in the last podcast. Uh, we really were talking about a lot of things, but we kind of ended uh, talking about the recent impeachment of uh, Ken Paxton, and, and we were talking about it in relation to the whole environment over at the Capitol and how it, it it's changed over the years, um, in recent years actually, and this session in particular has been, you know very destructive. I mean, they ousted a member for uh, inappropriate conduct with his intern, which um, I'm glad it moved as fast as it did. Um, and uh, which was, you know, I read the I, I read the general investigating report, general investigating committee report. And um, I was actually, you know, I don't get shocked by too many things. I was literally shocked and disgusted. By what I was reading, yeah. I really was. I I've never felt that. You know, I mean, and normally I just oh, okay. It's another you know, this and that, and you know, this member did whatever. This was really this was way out there, grotesque. It's grotesque. That's a great way to put it. So 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 he's gone, and then you know, just a few weeks later, you know, we're impeaching the attorney general of the state of Texas.
1: What's amazing is that nobody knew that the General the general Investigating Committee doesn't disclose what it's investigating and everything is referred to as Witness A or Issue B or something like that. Uh, so we knew there was some activity going on with General Investigating, but we had no idea that it was uh, examining the, uh, the Office of the Attorney General and Ken Paxton in particular. You know,
0: I think uh, I think most of our viewers and our listeners probably don't even know how that even happened. You know, um, and you correct me if I get any of this wrong, but you know, when when uh, when General Paxton was was getting ready to run for office, he was already in some hot water with the uh, with uh, on securities fraud, I believe it was, and was in fact indicted. But nothing ever; it, it just kept getting delayed, delayed, delayed. And and his his attorneys were good at keeping that at bay. And then he got elected, and then he got elected a second time, and. um so, from what I can, uh, but what I can tell uh, from what he did, is uh, there was a lot of activity between him and one of his biggest contributors, a guy named Nate Paul. Nobody knows who that is. Probably that that's listening. Some people will, but big
1: you Austin know, a, a developer, developer uh, property owner,
0: billionaire. Billi- billionaire. I think aspiring he's a billionaire. billionaire, aspiring yeah. billionaire, you know, former kind of billionaire, a, now. rich dude. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> Has a lot of money and had a lot of problems. And, uh, and these are my words, not. Not what they said, but it's in essence. It looks like the uh, Paxton was using the, the attorney general's office almost like the private law office for Nate uh, Paul, and there were some high level high level attorneys at the He's office that found that to be uh, it was uh, it, that was wrong that it was outside the scope of what they should be doing, and then wanted to to whistle blow. And so- They specifically
1: said it was unethical and illegal and they went to the FBI.
0: And they went to the FBI. And uh, so, in the so none of us know this is going on, right? We, we, we're we're this is we're all oblivious to this. It's happening, in, and and the negotiation. Well, we know
1: about the whistle the whistleblowers, and um, and uh, there was a finally, in order to avoid having to do discovery, they uh, came to a settlement, right? Uh, which, at which point, the uh, the attorney general would apologize for having said they were scumbags. Um, they would get three point three million dollars, and the matter would go away. Yeah, but he asked the state of Texas to pay the three point three million dollars. Therein
0: lies the problem, and when I say we didn't, I, I, I'm thinking you know people outside outside this business didn't really know what's happening. They heard there was some going on, and and then there was a settlement with the whistleblowers for like you said 3.3, and then the, the real issue was when the attorney general goes before the the appropriations committee and asked to, for the state to pay that 3.3 million, and they start they said that seems kind of funny, and so they start the investigation. I think in February
1: is what I is what it sounds like. Actually, the attorney general, after getting reprimanded by the in the previous session by the Senate Finance Chair, would never personally showed up, asking for the money. And the Speaker, when interviewed, said that he didn't didn't understand why the te- taxpayers of Texas should be on the hook uh, for whistleblower um, to pay off whistleblowers for his bad behavior, his alleged bad behavior. Right. Um, and uh, that started the process. Um, the um, uh, Apparently, the, he told the uh, General Investigating Committee to um, start looking into it. When they started looking into it, they found uh, a remarkable array of alleged, I'm going to have to keep saying alleged misconduct, yeah, up to and including a the obstruction of a federal investigation and um, uh, directly impeding an investigation and turning over raw FBI data to the subject, the target of that investigation.
0: And so I think what most people don't probably don't realize is that the invest the general investigating committee is um, uh, it's not a law enforcement uh, body. So when we say investigation, it was a it was alleged, it was an investigation. They, they used investigators, but uh, they actually hired investigators, and they do have power of subpoena. They do have power of subpoena. Um, and so we were talking earlier about how we we're going to be back for the essentially trial. So, you know, the House uh, impeachment is is uh, they, and, and everybody's equated it to being sort of like a grand jury, and that you're really just looking at it: is it enough to take it to trial? And that's essentially what occurred. They said, "There's enough there; send it to trial." The trial goes to the Senate. Um, it's the same process that was used during uh, for Trump and and um, and and Clinton. It's uh, same process; it goes to the Senate. To, uh, uh, maybe with, with some variations but the senate then holds an actual uh or, or and and p- people saw um on tv mm-hmm. the clinton trial where people there was testimony it was just like having a court right and then they um make make their judgment as to whether or not they're guilty of uh enough that they should be in fact you know removed from office um so the that the impeachment is goes through i guess is that they're that that they're uh, it, it doesn't i don't know that let me ask you this question. Does that hold – is that information useful in a, in a court? If if they get impeached in office and then their charges are brought by the FBI later, is that information I'm useful? I'm not even
1: sure the FBI is going to – no, that's – that. theoretically, it's admissible. But the FBI has got its own parallel track of investigation. And frankly, I would argue that uh, – that uh, the attorney general should be far more concerned, far less concerned about the impeachment trial than the fact that the yeah. FBI now has chapter, what appears to be chapter and verse yeah. of impeding a federal investigation.
0: Yeah, the impeachment really is just about removing him from office. Exactly. It's not really, you know, yeah. it's not going to put him in jail or anything like that. It, uh, but. The FBI will.
1: If he's convicted in the impeachment trial, yeah, and remember yeah. the impeachment is only in the House and yeah. that, it's adjudicated in the Senate. Uh, once the House impeached him, he was suspended from office. He lost his swipe key, his parking lot, and access to his email. And theoretically, the there should be a, um, a firewall between he and the office of the attorney general. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, uh, they violated uh, instructions from the general investigating committee. Uh, they continued working and put together 400 pages of what they considered um, uh, exculpatory information, and delivered it to the Senate. And uh, the Senate, some of the senators wouldn't look at it because they called it jury tampering.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. We're in um, <laughs> uncharted <laughs> we're in that, territory. We're in
0: that uncharted territory. That that's kind of it. Was kind of the point of of, when, of talking about all this is that I felt like this session we we are in uncharted territory because of so much occurring in such a short period of time you had the you know you had the Slayton ouster and then you had the impeachment and then you've got this special session you know chaos going on between the house and the Senate and um and so uh yeah I think if your staff and I, and I know a lot of staff and I talk to them and and they're very they're worried they, they get they're worried about what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to their member? Is their member going to be on the right side of these issues? How do you know if you're on the right side of these issues? And, um, you know, if, are, are you know, are you a chairman all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, you don't have any authority or power? And And where does that put, you know, the staff? And so, you know, they're much more keen to all of that than I think I, I, at least I remember, from, you know, you know, a long time ago, and I hate to say that, but I'm just saying it, it has changed, and I say that only because it has changed with the fact that you know you've had the issue where they the budget was the budget was vetoed, and then you know people don't you know don't forget those kind of things, and then you had COVID, and it's you know I don't know that we've ramped back up to a level where you've got this professional staff helping these members not make some of these.
1: Mistakes. I would argue that by uh, it's very difficult to reestablish the culture of the House, in particular, the, sen- the culture of the Senate has been maybe ir- irretrievably changed because when he became a governor, Lieutenant Governor Patrick uh, changed fundamental rules, and they let him get away with it. He can't do that unilaterally. They let him get away with it. So, yeah. Um, but it, in, in many ways, corrupted the Senate and made them um, uh, mostly just a rubber stamp for his issues. Uh, Meanwhile, in the House, it's still more – the leadership asserts authority, obviously, and there's maybe a dozen bills they have a a direct interest in, and those are called speaker votes. Uh, But uh, it's still much more of a bottoms-up institution. Um, And uh, to his credit, um, at the end of the session, uh, Democrats and Republicans alike got up to applaud Speaker Phelan for uh, – my words, having restored the culture of the house and and uh, acted in good faith towards both Democrats and Republicans.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think it's 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 a hard place to be. That's probably might be one of the most difficult positions is to be the Speaker of the House, just yes. because you have you have 150 members, and you generally don't have. I mean, there was a period of time I would say under Craddock where he had such a such a wide margin of uh, of Republicans that he pretty much did whatever he wanted to do, but. Uh, today, that doesn't really, I mean, it's sort of split like the rest of the country. It's very split, you know, and right down the center.
1: So you have to almost move to the, to the, to the middle remember we only meet 140 days out of every 730. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we do most of our work in 90 days. You're Online being generous. Is, 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> we do most of our work in the last 10 days. 10 but, days, thank you. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, to bring it back to uh, Paxton for just a moment, the uh, what was we were all holding our breath, frankly, because essentially, yeah. at once the uh, the attorney general started personally attacking the speaker, and the lieutenant governor was already attacking the speaker. And they knew that they were going to be a bunch of them. Are gonna, Republicans are going to be challenged in their primary for oppositions to right. to vouchers, yeah. and now this impeachment vote. And uh, the heavy partisans are are already preparing to start picking people off uh, in their primaries. So this was going to be a vote of confidence, and not only a, a vote for. Uh, process and, uh, for some kind of ethics in government, uh, or, uh, just non-criminality in government. Uh, this was also going to be a test of the speaker's support in his own caucus. And, um, we knew that we were going to, there were going to be at least 50 Democrats that were going to vote aye. Uh, the jeopardy for the speaker and what would be used against him is if he did not have, um, uh, at least two thirds of his caucus, um, supporting the, the resolution that he allowed to be brought to the floor. And, uh, he got well over two thirds. And, uh, um it was a uh, a vote of confidence with everybody going in open-eyed and uh, and understanding what the potential consequence was going to be to them politically um they were going to be the subject and target of talk radio uh, their precinct chairs, the state Republican executive committee <laughs> um and um, uh, there's um, uh, oil billionaires out there just looking to p- pick off um, uh, Republicans that don't follow their party line so well,
0: it's a it's a rare it's a rare day when the house, Looks like the um, the older mm-hmm. brother in
1: yeah. this process. <laughs> well, because... the adult in the room is how they're r- routinely referred to because the, uh, the Senate is essentially a rubber stamp for the Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, uh, he'll even dictate what what bills can be heard and uh, what committee um, what committee schedules will be, and uh, uh, none of this this is they grant him his power, and the fact that he so dominates and some would argue bullies them. Uh, even taking chairman out of the out of the chair in the middle of the session for disagreeing with him, um, uh, publicly disagreeing with him, um, um, makes a, a any serious person take the uh, Senate far less seriously, um, because you can't really. Uh, there's only one one vote that counts, and technically he doesn't have a vote. I'm Harvey Kronberg, owner, uh, publisher, and chief bottle washer of The Quorum Report, Texas' oldest political publication for insiders and political professionals. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. We were the first ones online delivering uh, news to political professionals in real time. The Quorum Report includes a news clipping service, which if you're politically engaged, are the 36 stories you need to see every day, plus original content, sometimes posted as frequently as 10 or 12 times a day, and also occasional editing. Editorial analysis. You can find us at QuorumReport.com. You know, I think the the uh, the whole
0: idea of uh, only 140 days is 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 in part the problem. It, it um, I think the original intent of 140 days was so that it was to make it difficult to pass things. I mean, I get that, and I and that you know we didn't need more laws. We needed, you know, we may need some laws, but we don't need more and and so the fewer you pass, the better it is. And so you give them 140 days every two years, and um, that's a good way to do it.
1: <laughs> and uh, we're but, missing two really important features. Oh of yeah. Re- reasons why one is that it would take uh, almost a month to get from El Paso to Austin. Oh yeah. yeah. So it wasn't so like you could just shuttle back and forth. You came and stayed when you came to Austin. Yeah. Um, and second, um, most people don't remember that Texas didn't have air conditioning when the Constitution was written. Nobody wants to be in that building without air. Conditioning in the summer, so um, <laughs> I would argue th- those two imperatives uh, had a lot to do with the fact that, besides the fact that that this is um, uh, post Reconstruction, yeah. and the less the legislature met, the better most people considered it.
0: Yeah, it was very interesting. But uh, that, that one of the things that, that came out, and I, I started hearing about it, and it just piqued my interest, was that uh, uh, the governor Abbott started talking about a full time legislature. Uh, being a, a, a you know a better way to go about doing this and, and even though they they essentially sort of are a full time I mean they're not true full time I was looking uh, and I got some experience with this I, I've worked I used for about ten years I worked for uh, an organization and all of the United States and I worked probably 25 states. They all have different ways of doing their legislative process forty six states meet every meet annually. Only four states meet every, uh, odd, on odd numbered years. And none of them are like Texas. You got Texas, uh, Nevada, um, uh, uh, South Dakota. Is it South Dakota? No, it's North Dakota and Montana. None of which have.
1: have are, there's not a million people in Montana. No, or no North there's Dakota. not.
0: <laughs> no. So out of that group of 46, there's probably 10 or 11 that actually are considered. Full time, like true full time, they have a salary, and and Pennsylvania, I think they make around ninety five thousand dollars a year. They make like a real salary. They're they're a professional mm-hmm. legislator. California, it's like one hundred twenty thousand, and uh, there's varying ranges, and and um, and in the states where they meet every year, there's uh, it's ranges from twenty to fifty thousand dollars. You know, for for, for uh, legislatures that meet every year. I'm kind of a fan of that. I'm not a fan of the full-time legislature where they're in all the time because things just plod through and nothing ever really goes away, and I think there's too much time for bad things to happen. But meeting annually is not a bad thing, and I would take it one step further. Um, I would say that even though it's a small state, the state where I felt like it it was – It seemed to be the most organized in the way that they went about doing their their legislative process. They would have a session every session, but one session would be just a budget session. And the next session would be a regular session where you talked about issues. You didn't mix the two. Now, I know that there's proponents that like the idea of being able to hold one hostage over the other. But what would happen in in, in New Mexico is – you know, they would spend the year, the budget, uh, the budget committee, and there'd be several of them, uh, made up of a lot of legislators They would meet throughout the year and then they would bring that budget almost already agreed to, to a, I believe a 30 day session. So you didn't spend a lot of time on, on that. And then you would have the next session would be your regular session longer, you know, and then you take up your issues. So, um, I would, I would be a proponent of Texas moving to an every year session, and probably there's people screaming right now when I say that, but I, I think it's not a bad thing. I think that the, our session is way too short. I don't think for a, session, for a state this big with this big of a budget to meet in such a short period of time, I think you're just asking for trouble. The, the, the further we get along, the crazier it gets, it seems like, every session.
1: I could argue around or square, but uh, what you just described was essentially the last effort to reform the the process. Uh, It was back in the 90s. uh, Senator John Monford from— John Monford, yeah. uh, uh, Put together a pretty serious proposal, Um, but uh, he couldn't find any traction in in either chamber. It would take two-thirds of the House and Senate to put it on the ballot. And then you have to go persuade people that they can trust their legislators to be in in Austin— Quote full time. When you say full time, you you just mean you don't you don't mean
0: full time full time. You mean full time like right annually.
1: Well, 140 days, and then a second session to adjust the budget uh, because this budget was predicated on revenue estimates. What the comptroller thinks we are going to have to spend in the next uh, two years, and um, I can tell you the price of oil went from uh, 120 down to uh, a year ago to. Uh, Uh, $68 today, Um, and that is a huge uh, cash flow for the state, uh, the taxes on that. Um, uh, Construction industry is um, beginning to um, flatline, maybe not decline, but uh, those revenue estimates... The comptroller probably uh, did fairly conservative revenue estimates, but we've been in circumstances before where something, some externality, serious externality takes place, and um, and uh, we're we're thrown into recession or uh, the oil prices crash or whatever it may be, and we're halfway through the two year cycle and um, we don't have anything approximating the money that we thought we were going to have.
0: Yeah. And therein lies uh, the the rub, you know. Is is uh, we do a biennial se- a biennial budget, and and uh, the problem is is that things change
1: yes. in a year. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, uh, in this market, they change uh, pretty much every uh, two weeks. So. Yeah. You know, I, I think we have to adapt to it. To be honest, I think we have to
0: adapt to it. I don't know that there's. I, I don't know that there's any support for any of that. You know, it's probably like trying to change daylight savings time. You know,
1: I mean, <laughs> if the uh, there's a, a pretty substantial distrust of the governor, um, uh, he's made an alliance of convenience with the speaker uh, on some issues. But uh, I'll just say that um, he's in a permanent campaign mode and less frequently in a governing mode, and um, uh, so the. Uh, persuading the legislature inevitably being here more arguably might give him more opportunity. And uh, we're, we're we're about to watch this governor. We have something called a line item veto where you can scratch out a sentence theoretically right. in the appropriations bill and eliminate some spending. And it's now become a, pride, a matter of honor to uh, at least symbolically scratch out some lines. Well, this governor has done a, a major change in that he'll scratch out a couple of words and change the intent of the appropriation. And um, there's nothing in the Constitution that envisions that, that he's defying legislative intent. Um, and we're going to be reminded about that on this, when in the veto period that's uh, we're about to enter here. Because mm-hmm. um, I can guarantee you that he's going to scratch out some words, change some trajectory of money. And um, if you had uh, an era like you did uh, back in the 90s with uh, Bob Bullock, Pete Laney, and uh, George W. Bush, where they all got along and covered covered each other's back... Something like that might be possible in this very suspicious and perhaps justifiably uh, suspicious environment. It's very hard to see how uh, uh, anybody wants to change the rules of the game because they don't know who it's going to advantage. And and, and there's
0: also nothing in the Constitution that can't
1: do what you just described, like
0: take out a couple of words, whatever. I mean, it's a line item veto doesn't describe exactly what you can how you uh, can go about doing the line item?
1: Uh, Well, most legal authorities think that uh, you can scratch out an expenditure. You can't change its trajectory. Mm. And that's what he did and has been doing uh, for at least, uh, well, since Speaker Strauss was in in office. Uh, So, and uh, the, uh, of course, there's always threats of punishment. Some of the uh, folks, anti-voucher folks expect to see some money that's about to get spent in their district perhaps being uh, redlined. Uh, But that's a traditional, uh, uh, more traditional use of a veto. To change the trajectory and intent of the expenditure is not what the line item veto is about. It's supposed to be up or down on the expenditure, not the direction or trajectory of the expenditure.
0: Well, now that we've given everybody uh, (laughs) such great news and and something to think about.
1: There are um, no virgins in this process. (laughs) No,
0: there's not. And uh, it's a, you know... It is what it it is what it is. I hate to say that that term, but this is this is how it works. And mm-hmm. and hopefully that's you know, our, our listeners and our, our viewers are, are are looking at this and, and you know, it's the, the all of this information isn't for someone to decide that they should hate government. They just need to understand the, how government works. You know, I look at it both ways. I mean, I've spent many years being angry about things that could, I couldn't get done because of what happened uh, at the Capitol. But at, at the end of the day, it is. Uh, it's it's a it can be an ugly process, but it's we the,
1: generally tend to self correct over time. Um, yeah. there's lots of exceptions to that, but uh, we lurch to the left. Well, we haven't lurched to the left in a while, but we yeah. Uh, the pendulum has us lurching to the right, and and culture wars seem to be a unifying principle of the Republican primary. Obviously, so uh, despite the fact, I think the majority of members, uh, certainly the majority of Republicans, don't consider themselves to be culture warriors. That's the constituency they have to uh, uh, satisfy. So, for instance, I don't think there's any grand uh, fear of drag shows out in the general population. And this whole thing about groomers, which was used to do some pretty hostile, legis- or at least move some pretty hostile legislation towards towards gays and trans, et cetera, um, is a hyperventilated problem. It certainly may exist. It's kind of like the bathroom bill. It generated enormous, this is four, two ses- three sessions ago, yeah. it generated enormous amount of attention out in the real world um, but, uh, that no, no problem had ever been demonstrated and we spent an enormous amount of energy and a special session solving a problem that didn't exist. And yeah. of course, at the end of the day, public opinion changed. It was 70% supported a bathroom bill when, when it was originally framed. And then the more they learned about it, the sillier they realized it was. And it frankly tarnished that whole legislative session.
0: Yeah, that was, that
1: was, uh, that was pretty ugly. And that,
0: that did, uh, I remember business really was the, uh, the kind of the turnaround and said, you know. Mm-hmm. I think you know that that's kind of sort of the unholy alliance that you find in in this process is that the people who fund and make sure that people are reelected are uh, a lot of them are large business and but then at the same time the people who are electing these uh, members to elected office um, they want to see something you know pretty substantially different than what maybe some large business that employs two thousand employees wants to see. And so, um, you know, who, who's your who's your boss? Um, and I think that's a, that's a tough place to be. I don't, I don't know that I'd want to be making that decision. Well,
1: the lieutenant governor has made it clear to the business community that his their interests are not necessarily his interests. His interests are the Republican primary voter. And you'll remember that uh, – or you may – uh, listeners and viewers may not remember, but uh, John Cornyn, the senior senator from uh, Texas – unarguably a uh, conservative, was booed for 25 out of the 30 minutes that he spoke at the state Republican convention uh, because he did one incremental tiny little change to gun regulation um, after some, uh, just a, an extraordinary series of mass murders. Dan Patrick, who is unalterably opposed to all of that, uh, or I mean, is the in the forefront of the culture wars, was the only person to get an uh, almost nonstop standing ovation. That tells you all you need to know about the Republican primary voter. It's going
0: to be this is going to be a crazy election cycle. That's all I can say. <laughs> hey Harvey, the, again, thanks again. This has been great. Um, we have got a lot more to talk about, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, I, we need to uh, we need to get into the elections. Uh, we're just now sort of, you know, I'm just starting to get letters. <laughs> well, the inviting me to fundraising. <laughs> fundraising
1: starts. Uh, ironically, the, the fundraising 19th, becomes right. legal the day before the Senate is going to. The senators are going to be here anyway for fundraiser, so they might as well convene and, and uh, write the rules yeah. for the, the Paxton right. uh, trial. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, thanks again, and, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. My pleasure. It's always fun. Thanks, Mark. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. In addition, consider subscribing on Apple and Spotify, where you can leave us a five-star review. If you're not already following us on social media, You can find those links below in the show notes. As always, thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next time.